Hey everyone, welcome to a slightly delayed and long anticipated episode 48 of the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast. In this one, we're going to get in-depth into the SRAM Access uh, new group set as well as some breaking news uh, regarding Garmin and Tax. Here we go. Hey, listeners of the podcast, sorry I've been away for a little bit. Um, I was fighting a bit of a weird cold, felt fatigued, congestion, uh, all that fun stuff, and didn't really have the juice to make a podcast episode last week. So, um, but you know what? Good things come to those who wait because in the last week or so, um, this is going to be, a, a, I think, a humdinger, as we call it in the industry, um, podcast episode, and I hope you really do enjoy it. Uh, we're going to get in-depth into the Smart Access uh, group set launch. What does that mean for bike shops? What does that mean for you as potential riders? Um, and also, too, some breaking news uh, regarding Garmin and Tax. And then uh, I think I've also got uh, a little bit of some cool pro team sort of insights as to what's all going on on that front it's going to be a great episode hopefully it brings you some value if uh if you like what you hear great do leave me a ranking and also uh just a big shout out to everyone who is listening thank you so much you know what without further delay let's just do this So SRAM, one of the big three component manufacturers within the bicycle industry, uh, the other two being Shimano as well as Campagnolo, and with Shimano being the giant of the bunch uh, with quite a substantial amount of market share. Uh, By market share, I mean what you can find on a lot of bikes that are coming out of the box, uh, what a lot of bike brand manufacturers are doing to take Shimano parts, putting them on their bikes, building the bike to a large extent, sometimes around those standards. Um, SRAM would be number two in many respects, uh, with Campagnolo following uh, in third. Um, But the fun, exciting part is that this new group set that SRAM has unveiled Uh, known as SRAM Axis, it's going to be available in both a road as well as a mountain bike group set. Both are going to be wireless and both are going to be using 12-speed cassettes. So it's going to be quite a bit of info to sort of uh, dig through here. And let's just get right into it on the mountain bike side of it. Most people think I'm only roadie, but no, we're going to talk about the the blight that is flat bar bikes. And I only say that jokingly, of course, just because I don't ride mountain bikes at all. Um, It's not my strength. It's not my interest. I don't do it. So, uh, but I do sell them and I do have an interest in the design and technology going into mountain bikes. Um, SRAM Eagle Access is the new wireless version uh, that is coming to mountain bikes. Um, Now, SRAM have actually 
redesigned the actual shifter as well as rear derailleur and SRAM ac or sorry Eagle Axis is what it's being called. Um, but let's first talk about how these two components interact with one another and you, the rider. This is truly important. The axis components include a new reverb axis seat post, um, which is actually a super sweet new bit of tech. And we're going to get into that maybe a bit later. Um, and it's all connected with SRAM's proprietary encrypted wireless network. Um, it used to be known as, um, it had an A name like, Aurelia or something like that. A bit of a jumble of letters. Um, now they've simplified it, even changed the coding of it to a large extent, and it's now called Access. Um, once it's been paired with your shifter and derailleur, you're more or less ready to ride. So should you want to alter how the three button shifter works though, um, changing what any of these three buttons do is what I'm getting at. SRAM has actually created an app you can change via the Access smartphone app that they've launched as well as this new group set, which connects to the components via Bluetooth. The Access app is very intuitive uh, in terms of a user experience and to use day-to-day uh, -day and allows you to alter things such as bun button function, multi-shift function, and check on features including the battery life as well as mileage and other ride data. So it's a very cohesive ecosystem, something that Shimano did unveil uh, a year or so, maybe two years ago, um, something similar with their DI2 system. Um, just comparing the two based on aesthetics and usability, I'm finding that the SRAM one is just a little bit more user, was really thought about how people are going to use this app uh, in terms of swiping, in terms of engaging with their smartphone device, uh, to use the features and components and talk to their component set. It's just a little bit of a smoother experience. Um, both work really well, uh, especially if you're using the E-Tube setup on uh, Shimano Di2. That's how you're going to engage with the app. Uh, I believe that's how that's all going to go. Um, next up is the Axis itself is more of the name of the ecosystem that SRAM has created here um, as the app itself. Uh, Access is really almost talking more about the app central hub feature of what SRAM's trying to do here. Um, but it also sort of creates a bigger scope as well that SRAM's going to be doing in the future. And it sort of gives them a little bit of insight uh, as to what the company is going to do. Um, the first up that I think is really, really exciting for a lot of riders is that SRAM's Quark TireWiz tire pressure gauge that is remote. Um, it threads right onto your tire uh, valves and actually can measure what the loss of PSI is and actually transmit that to a head unit um, live while you're riding. And also uh, it just sort of makes it into a more cohesive ecosystem. There's no other thing you have to plug it into. It's all part and parcel. Um, all of which I find super, super exciting going forward uh, with this new group set launch. Um, the new SRAM Eagle shifter does look substantially different uh, than a traditional cable-based uh, shifter. With some futuristic form factors going on here, it does actually have three buttons instead of the two paddles mechanical shifters normally have. There is a paddle, or sorry, a single paddle on the front of the shifter, which rocks on a central pivot from all uh, from all accounts here, 
sits over the two buttons that actually lets you shift up and down the gears uh, by pushing on the top or bottom half of that paddle. Uh, so that's buttons one and two. SRAM has then included a third button on the back of the shifter, which can easily be actuated with your index finger. So um, that's, I guess, the one facing forward for a lot of people. Um, and this has actually been very popular in the testing phase uh, and prototyping phase that they've kept it in. Um, riders like legendary Nino Schurter, uh, who is apparently said to have used it constantly when he's been doing sprints uh, in his races and training rides. Um, and then the front two buttons require a different amount of force to depress them, giving each of them a unique feel. So you definitely know which button you're going to be shifting uh, based on tactility. And then if you don't care for uh, the configuration that comes out of the box and factory settings, as mentioned before, you can switch it to the preference, to your rider preference in the Axis app. The reason for the implementation of the app was to remove the friction for the rider and possible technophobes. I have worked with too many of them. Uh, a certain John comes to mind, by the way. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my man, John, on the East Coast. So they could set up the buttons without the need of software, junction, box junction boxes, or other paraphernalia. That's a bit of a shot across the bow towards Shimano because before you had to take your DI2 system, change out one of the boxes uh, from the D-Fly to the E-Tube setup, and that was like a bit of a cost in terms of having to f do all that and so that E-Tube can actually transmit a signal to the app itself. Um, so that's a huge plus minus, I would have to say, and plus in the uh, SRAM column there. The whole shifter itself is going to be powered by a 2032 coin battery and reported to last a couple of years of frequent shifting. Um, so you won't have to really replace it all that often. However, this is a big however for a lot of Canadians. Uh, cold weather will affect the electronics. Uh, it affects all electronics. So keep in mind cold weather applications of this new group set so get excited but just keep in mind try not to use it in the cold it will diminish your battery life um one thing that i'm seeing here is the new derailleur going with it so being wireless uh it does have a slightly changed form factor however the sram access derailleur does look a lot like a regular eagle unit however the battery with a battery attached to this like you got to sort of keep that in mind um but even without the addition of the battery, there's quite a, actually a few standout design features that I really took off from it. Um, the, there's more of a futuristic, overall kind of sleek but angular look to it. And it's, uh, it's actually, I think, aesthetically pleasing. And I think it matches a lot of the dual suspension hardtail bikes that are out there for mountain bike. Um, things are kind of getting a little bit angular in terms of... Uh, tube shapes, uh, aluminum, both and composite. Um, so yeah, I think it's actually going to fit the design of a lot more brands bikes than the sleekness of what's going on. Um, the battery itself can be whipped off uh, the derailleur pretty easily and it's held in place with a single clip and SRAM claims that it just takes about an hour or so to charge up, uh, but it delivers from that single charge a approximately 25 hours of ride time uh that means consistent shifting over the course of 25 hours so if you like to stick in one gear 
great if you uh, are shifting on the frequent. You got about 25 hours of ride time to sort of play around. So that's a great little summary there. Um, how does it compare to Shimano? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm reading off my notes here, by the way. Um, one of the major downsides with me when it comes to Shimano's ecosystem was the complications of routing wires and stowing a battery. Uh, it can be a very fiddly experience, uh, having seen it in my experience, as well as folks and riders that have traveled with their bikes. And of course, DI2, for whatever reason, there's some frame sizes that it just will not work in, and I'm thinking of the smaller frame sizes. Uh, some hardtail bikes are just too small to actually handle DI2 without some major compromises in uh, integration, stowability, and just full-on execution of a wireless system. Um, there's a lot of riders who are powerhouses, and but due to their bike, their bike fit, um, they they kind of get like the jankiest of di2 setups because there's nowhere to hide a battery there's nowhere to hide uh possible wires and cables just due to uh the integration uh, internal routing of some of these frames it's just too small additionally sometimes the wires themselves are too small to actually fit some of the larger frames so it's never a win-win situation uh, i think the happy medium with a lot of di2 setups are road bikes that are going to be between uh, about 50 centimeters up to about 56 centimeters. I've seen a few problems with 58 and larger, and I've seen problems with uh, smaller than 50 centimeter frames uh, on the road bike side. And then on the mountain bike side, I would say anything smaller than uh, a size small frame, uh, that's going to be around the 15, possibly even 14 inch frame sets. Uh, and then anything above, I would say, about a 21 inch frame um thereabouts i've seen a few problems happen with those but actually weirdly enough uh the cables on that tend to be just long enough for those bigger frames but uh yeah so anything bigger than that like i find shimano really hits the sweet spot of the democracy and majority of frame sizes out there so just take that for what it's worth um and with wireless, I still find it shocking that DI2 is incredibly, for something that's wireless, how many wires actually remain with a DI2 setup? It's kind of ridiculous. Why is it called wireless when the fact that there's still wires going to batteries, to the actual components, uh, and having to hide stuff uh, with cables, or with actual wires, it's kind of silly. It just doubles as a cable in a lot of ways. Um, Additionally, the setup itself. Um, there's a lot of negotiation. You have to do a lot of internal wiring uh, planning just ahead of time and also making sure that your cables and junctions are going to be set up and connected. And the junctions themselves can be very finicky to actually mount the wireless cable to the actual battery housing itself or the component. Um, I know DI2 shifters and internal routed handlebars can be just a booger to try and set up. Um, if you don't believe me, do take a look at uh, Rides uh, Rides of Japan. Uh, Tobias, he's got a great breakdown of him setting up a DI2 setup. Uh, and it's approximately, it, it's the whole video set is about 
an hour long, but the videos itself for the shifters alone is, I think, uh, about 20 minutes long. So do check that out if you want to get an idea of what I'm talking about here. Um, additionally, Shimano with uh, Shimano somewhat screwing up the industry and sort of prioritizing online retailers and causing huge product management issues for bike brands um, to release their latest bikes, um, as well as facilitate parts for Shimano service centers. They sort of left a lot of the industry and stakeholders in in the cold, I would have to say. They're not really uh, trying to keep us included. The big takeaway is that SRAM is actually releasing this product at launch as some bike shops are already outfitting bikes with it. So they're trying to get it into the hands of the consumer, the rider, and actually get local bike shops to carry it. Or if they don't quite have it just yet, um, it's pretty much going to be uh, guaranteeing that you're going to receive this product from distributors through a pre-order sort of service. That's what my local bike shop is going through at the moment. Um, and riders want it now and SRAM is looking to deliver that. So that's a huge comparison against uh, Shimano. All right, now for your enjoyment, as well as mine, <laughs> we get to talk about just a little bit about the SRAM Red ETAP Axis. Um, bit of a mouthful there but eventually it's just going to be called SRAM Axis uh, or SRAM Red Axis just to differentiate it between that and the mountain bike group so SRAM uh, the competitor Campagnolo might well have got the first 12 speed to market um, but with wireless electronic red ETAP getting a wider revamp which goes far beyond the fable 12th sprocket its aim is at none, nothing less than a complete rethink of how uh, road bikes are getting and receiving gearing. Um, is this a bit of hype? Is this a bit of uh, BS? Sure, yeah, to some degree, but what new product launch isn't a bit of an exaggeration? Um, the 12th Sprocket Edition, something mountain bike riders have enjoyed for a while already, um, and Campagnolo's answer to this problem was to add a 12th sprocket to fill the gap in the center of the block of the cassette, um, which works to an extent, but doesn't entirely solve the problem. Um, you're still using existing crank sets, um, and there's this weird sort of a gearing loss in terms of percentages of gain uh, or decrease, uh, depending on what you're wanting to do from your shifting. Um, SRAM Solution comes with its own innovations uh, that it took from an inspiration from the mountain bike side of it, as well as the single ring one by drivetrains used on road, cyclocross, and gravel bikes in recent years. It developed a new free hub body based on the existing XD driver, which is seen on mountain bikes uh, at the moment. And it has been adapted for the road. Uh, and it now has received uh, the new name XDR, uh, XD Road driver um which is ever so slightly wider than its off-road equivalent um but it allows for a smaller 10 tooth sprocket to actually fit onto uh the overall cassette body itself this opens up a whole new set of numbers to achieve even bigger gear ranges um for example a 1026 a 1028 and a 1033 cassette 
are coming to launch right away um, and are available. And not only was it a cassette change of a 12th cog edition, but the cranksets have also changed. I kind of alluded to that. Um, so there's now a 5037, a 4835, and a 4633 uh, tooth count for your double chain rings. Um, and now these normally compact sounding crank sets may sound easy to turn, but what you actually get is a harder and easier gears at both ends of the spectrum across all combinations. So that's really going to help uh, folks that are using uh, the 1037, uh, 1026 combination there, which would be your pro standard race gearing. Um, the next one down or up depending on how you're going to view that would be maybe a 4835 and that would be your mid compact and using that with a 1028 cassette block and then for those that really want the compact road experience to just mountain goat over top of uh, any kind of treacherous climbs or steep ascents a 4633 paired up with a 1033 cassette there's an actual one-to-one -one ratio going on here that's going to allow you to just coast up like an escalator at the mall, uh, up any kind of incline that is causing you somewhat any problems to get up. Uh, and with those wider range of gears, you don't actually suffer the disruption cadences um, that have, we've seen in gear clusters past. Um, there's actually a smooth progression of often just plus one tooth per shift of or per cog per shift, if that all makes sense. So you're really only gaining one each time you're activating and throwing the lever to get across the cassette body. Now, I'll let you peruse the internet for the actual gear ratios and percentages, but the sweet spot gear is there if you are looking for it. Depending on your gear combinations, your ability, um, and how you plan to ride, that sweet spot gear does exist in this group set. Um, and speaking of shifting gears, you need a chain to do that. So the Axis chain is by far one of the best talking points of this new group set launch. It's a unique look and it definitely has a standout from any other chain that I've ever seen. Um, the plates are now thinner and they're stronger. That's not hyperbole, they actually had to engineer it so that way it is both those two features. But it also has a flat top edge to it. It's being nicknamed a flat top chain because it is a full straight line uh, on the top portions of the chain face itself. This chain design actually allows you to shift across the gears and also allows for more space between the cassette cogs themselves, which from all reviews makes for a quieter drivetrain. I did not know that this was uh, needed, but it definitely sounds appreciated from me. Um, but that being said, I'm going to get to maybe a few cons in the very near future. Next up on this new drivetrain uh, on the roadside is going to be a new rear derailleur. To get across that huge uh, 12 cogs of a cassette body, the rear derailleur on the Axis has also received an upgrade. It uses the same batteries as the ETAP, but the design looks more robust and angular, keeping in mind and in look with the futuristic sort of vibe that's going on with these angles but also robustness um, that the eagle access products have also received and is also running a larger uh, x sync pulley system as well as ceramic bearings under the surface of the jockey wheels of the rear derailleur so that should mean 
for butter smooth and fast movement of the chain uh, across the surface of your cassette body when you're shifting gears. There's also a new motor housed within the derailleur and with more power and a faster signal transfer to go along with the Group S overhaul chipset that's running these things. So that being said, it's sort of, uh, it's got a funny name actually, but I'm gonna get to that. I've got this all in my notes here. Um, the rear derailleur will work with a one by or two by system. So that's a great get, like workaround and for the need for a clutch on a one by system. It's used to retain chain tension on rough terrain, but SRAM's come up with this clever alternative and they've called it the Orbit or Orbit. Orbit is a fluid dampener uh, contained within the pivot of the top jockey wheel axle. And the principle behind the dampener is that the faster it moves, the more resistance builds. Think of pushing your hands open uh, through or sorry, pushing your open hand through water slowly as opposed to as fast as you can and how the resistance increases. Um, you can actually feel that change in pressure. Um, this is actually meant for the disruptive surfaces of um, rough terrain. Think Perry-Roubaix cobbles where they actually did test this system out at... Uh, before they launched it to the public. So if it could take on those rough roads, that's great. But this is also meant for the gravel road rider set, as well as cyclocross racers who at this past year's World Cup, um, Tom Pidcock was one of the racers who rode successfully onto it. Um, but there's many other riders as well who have been using it, testing it, and actually really loving it um, due to the fact they can really handle disruptive uh, chain slack and tension the whole time. In a first for SRAM's electronic drivetrains, uh, red ETOP axis will also be available in one by and two by formats with no changes required aside from the chain ring itself. And even better is the all new red ETOP axis bits. Um, that these new bits will also be compatible with SRAM's equally new and sexy SRAM axis wireless drivetrain. So you can actually make these, oh, and also it will be uh, totally usable with the reverb axis dropper C-post that is now electronic remote. Um, so buyers can feel free to mix and match and as they see fit. Um, they've kind of nicknamed this the mullet setup in terms of that you can have business up front on the chain ring set and party in the back on your drivetrain as well as dropper seat post. So gravel riders rejoice. This is going to be super awesome. Thank you SRAM for finally listening to riders wishes. Um, and it's going to be a lot of happy riders that decide to go this route. Um, if you are planning on going with a massive gear ratio, you might want to go with the SRAM Eagle axis derailleur just to get across the face of such a big uh, gear set. I'm thinking of riders that are wanting to use like a 1042 sort of setup or bigger. Um, that's all doable, but you just need to have the right derailleur for the right job. So do see your local bike shop for that. Um, but also, uh, this is just a fun little note here is that there has been, um, SRAM has also relocated the uh, removable battery outboard on the front derailleur. So that way it is 
just ever so slightly so that it actually provides better tire clearance now. Now, officially, SRAM has uh, said that the new derailleur will handle tire sizes up to 40 millimeters wide, which means that there's invariably a little bit of wiggle room, actually, uh, for riders that want to take a bit more risk with that uh, acknowledgement of how much tire width you can fit uh, behind the front derailleur there. So that's really great news for the gravel set. I don't know if that's uh, the street graders removing snow off the road or if that's people complaining about the lack of trickle down from SRAM. Ha <laughs> ha, you thought I was going to go this one way. Anyways, um, something that is coming sooner than later is the fact that there will be trickle down technology in the form of force and rival, maybe. Um, and on the mountain bike side, double uh, X as well as XO. And from SRAM's point of view, having riders aspire to attain the new new flagship stuff is just really business as usual. You see it in smartphone manufacturers. You see it in other uh, tech brands. This is a luxury thing, right? So this is what the pros are going to be using. This is what you like if you are a fan of cycling um, or mountain biking. This is really what you go to your local bike shop for and hopefully ask them like oh do you have it so you can see it so you can touch it so you can see how it shifts that's the reason for there's no trickle down at launch really um likely you will see a force axis or a double x axis that is really going to be tricky to say in the future um just after the 2020 olympics as sram will want to position themselves and their sponsored athletes to get some of that gold medal results for marketing purposes this just all makes sense you just have to be patient for a year don't get all down on sram for not coming out with trickle down technology um that fall autumn you should see force access being used by cyclocross racers so that sram doesn't have to exclude uh too much of their existing market share um they don't want folks to miss out that much um if i've heard about the crank set uh will it wear out and do i have to buy a new one this only comes from the fact that there's an integrated power meter uh with the sram's partnership and ownership of cork power meter there's an actual integrated one that comes with it um yes you will have to get a new one should you wear out the chain ring I'm taking a pause here because you need to calm down. Uh, that does not mean that it's the end of the world. Just hear me out. If you go with a non-integrated power meter crankset, you will be able to replace the chain rings as they wear out as per usual. Um, but why not on the integrated power meter one? On Quark side of it, uh, and this is actually from the press release, um, from Quark, it is partly due to controlling the quality and eliminating power drift in the integrated design so that riders know that it is physiological changes and not power meter changes that are happening. This is from the CEO of Quark. Um, now, will that be a deal breaker? I think maybe, maybe not. If nothing else, it sure provides a lot of motivation to keep uh, the drivetrain well-maintained, clean, and properly lubricated. This sort of gets back to my chain uh, being quiet uh, in my previous segment there. Uh, but on a bright spot on this subject, given the one by 
chain rings generally wear out a lot faster than two by setups those will be uh, separate from the power meter itself so that is very good news for cyclocross racers gravel riders who are using one by setups um, so keep that in mind and all that but otherwise I think it looks really sexy um, pricing because this is an audio document and uh, because mostly I don't want to uh, change the clip every time there is a price change by the way um, I'd recommend emailing your local bike shop or swinging by and asking how much it would be um, in Canada it there is a pre-sale going on and full distribution taking place so there might be incentives to get in on it early um, I already know that some of the product is available uh, to order in so do ask your local bike shop if you're in Canada in the US I believe they already have it and Europe markets do have it as well so um, do look into that if you are in the market for this new group set what does this mean for bike shops uh, you know what take a breather I'm gonna have some tea some tasty tea here sip sip that cold is still somewhat uh, messing with the back of my throat um, or it's just the dry air in my apartment, really. Um, but what does this mean for bike shops? All right, so I sort of touched upon it uh, earlier with uh, SRAM and Shimano, but SRAM is getting their product management together to expedite these new group sets to bike manufacturers, and most importantly, on my side of it, local bike shops. Um, it isn't only SRAM, it is also Zip. So the subsidiaries of SRAM, uh, Zip is their wheelhouse, literally, uh, is their wheel manufacturer that they own. Um, and they are making the 12-speed XDR hubs, uh, getting other wheel manufacturers on board as well um, to support this new standard, uh, if not just a free hub change um, that is going to be plenty of readily available from SRAM. This early 2019 release also means th that 2020 bikes are going to be able to deal with the bottom bracket that this new group set chain ring uh, and crank set actually is going to be uh, allowing for. But this isn't the fact that it's a new bottom bracket. It's the fact that they've created a new bottom bracket to actually fit more and more bikes. So that way bike manufacturers can use existing standards that and allowances that they already have install this new bottom bracket and boom the crank set is going to work you don't need the adapter you don't need the spacer it's just good to go uh you sorry you still might need a spacer for your bottom brackets um but that's just mostly for your q factor it won't be for the fact that you need it to fit um so that's just something to all keep in mind and it actually is going to possibly affect uh and influence the design choice going forward for 2021 bikes and so on and so forth. This land grab move is definitely going to hurt Shimano, especially if they don't get their supply chain woes figured out and expect to counter SRAM's access wireless philosophy with their own proprietary wireless DI2 setup in either, you'll see it on the roadside, likely um, a soft unveil, I would almost call it, uh, at this year's Tour de France uh, as riders and sponsored athletes get ready for the Olympic year. And I would say to Shimano that the proof is definitely in the action and not the debate. Um, go wireless, Shimano. We, we just want to see you 
execute an amazing product in a wireless format that does not have these little junction cables that need to be connected to a battery power source. Um, that's just dank. Don't do it. Um, make something wireless. Make it self-contained. We want to see what you can do to compete against RAM. SRAM have made this hot new sexy group set. Just do it. Um, and my biggest thing is whoever d executes and delivers in this space is going to be very well placed for when direct drivetrains come along. Um, not to sound the death knell or be the canary in the coal mine, but we are looking further and further down the road here. And the design of bikes and ceramic speed did come out with that uh, very viral um, direct drive drivetrain. Um, I think it was last year. It feels like last year. And that actually got a lot of bike manufacturer design folks excited about designing bikes around that sort of ethos and system. They're just waiting for one of these big players to actually get there first. Because um, once that happens, either it's going to be SRAM, Campagnolo, uh, or Shimano. If they go with that more direct drive system, it's kind of game over for everyone else because then it's become it's going to become a standardized feature. Um, and then they get to dictate terms, bottom brackets. They get to dictate uh, what wheels get to be used, uh, like in terms of free hub bodies uh, or even just um, shifting purposes, the ecosystem of the signal. Whoever gets there first wins. Um, and I think that SRAM have just taken the lead in this particular future prognostication. So that's just a prediction on my part. Um, and while Shimano remains the leading component manufacturer today, in terms of market share, yes, I totally get it. But the ice is beginning to thin and cracks can be heard underneath from where Shimano currently places itself. If they don't get their butts, their Shimano shit together, I would have to say. SRAM is definitely on the rise and going to definitely pass them if this keeps up in the next year or two. I know that Trek and Giant have both re-released their existing 2019 product lineup with SRAM Axis on their models just to fulfill market share uh, for their respective products. And I know Specialized wants to get on this as well. So that all being said, Shimano is looking very precarious uh, and that ice is beginning to thin. Alright, so early this morning I got uh, a bit of a notification saying that uh, I was just about to actually record this earlier today and I wanted to include this segment in particular into this episode of the podcast. Um, at the time of recording, Garmin has agreed to terms to purchase tax indoor smart trainers. Um, so what does this mean? It means that Garmin is wanting to join Wahoo on the indoor trainer market as Wahoo, the indoor trainer market folks, has already gone into the GPS computer market. So now this is a bit of a cross rivalry industry kind of thing. Um, this is very exciting for, I would have to say, uh, folks who use indoor riders as well as future outdoor riders who use uh, 
Wahoo or Garmin products to justify the metrics that they're putting out on their bikes. Um, it'll make for some interesting competition for the indoor trainers themselves, however. Uh, for features, you're going to see some new stuff. You're going to see expanded things, uh, both on the tax and Wahoo side of things, but also the innovation and novelty factor. Uh, I already know that tax has the smart ride feel um, that shakes your bike just ever so gently as you are riding your bike. Um, especially when you have it paired to either the tax app or the zwift app depending on what you're riding on virtually it will start shaking your bike if it's a gravel road if it's a few bumps in the road etc if it's cobbles etc if it's smooth it doesn't really shake excuse me but yeah it sort of gives you an idea of what to maybe expect coming from also wahoo just keep that in mind um this could be the beginning of a competitive cycle between wahoo and garmin don't forget that wahoo late last year is collaborating with pioneer on their power meters and garmin does already have vector power pedals so this is just more of accumulating of resources for a potential arms race of tech coming to uh, bicycle accessories as well as uh, other platforms to ride so do keep this all in mind i'm a huge fan of uh, full disclosure uh huge fan of the wahoo element bolt head unit i use it uh, for my long rides i use it for my indoor rides um, the user experience i find in comparison to i have owned uh, a few garmin head units it's just easier customization on the fly i use the smart app for it bip bop boop it's adjusted and uh, i can change the fields and the data for those fields however I want to view them. Um, and the acquisition of tax means that Garmin will have more native capability with their particular hardware and their software feature sets. So you can maybe see a Garmin software connect or Garmin connect software plug being more incorporated into a tax product in the future. Um, so this is super, super exciting. I thought you would enjoy that breaking news. So I'm coming to realize actually that this particular episode is very, very tech heavy. And I guess to continue that trend, um, the world tour is actually of road cycling is doing something very interesting in terms of speeding up wheel changes with the use of Formula One techniques, uh, that's Formula One car, uh, techniques of using power tools to unthread the through axle. Uh, what does this mean? It means that the stodgy QR standard is going to be relegated to what keeps the bikes on top of team vehicles uh, for, and also for time trial bikes for the time being. But even that is going to get an asterisk because including this particular year, 2019 year, as well as the 2020 Olympic year, this is going to be a huge thing in cycling industry. I can't stress this enough. Um, you're going to expect to see more time trial bikes get disc brakes and the UCI accommodating all of this and making designs of all bikes more sleek. Um, so the fact that they're using, uh, the World Tour teams, I should say, they're using more disc brakes now in their actual uh, stable and riders are using them more and more. They're gonna be using these power tools, handheld, wireless, um, to quickly change out wheels 
and they've said that they've gone from the previous um, two minutes it took them to bring out a multi-tool or an allen key unthread it using this uh, handheld bit of device took them two minutes or so to change out a wheel and get going now with the use of a power wheel in terms of changing out a wheel they're getting under a minute so that is huge actually for a lot of riders uh especially for uh and case in point was mark cavendish he had a flat they changed out using this uh wireless drill uh with a particular allen key head to it bing boom they switched it out and they did it in less than 30 seconds mark was able to get back onto the back of the peloton and actually contest for the win he i think finished uh third or fourth actually for that particular sprint i could be wrong could be fifth uh but he was definitely a top five finish without winning so you're going to be seeing that uh next up you're also the spring classics um during the spring classics you do see a few new sort of whispers of new tech coming out and it is so close and i can't wait for that um but this is actually going to be uh, the last segment uh, of this week's episode. I've jibber-jabbered on long enough. Um, but there's some new products coming into the shop regularly. I love this time of year. Um, new releases, new helmets. Uh, actually, I can say this. New Camelback Podium water bottles. have They got a new shape. Uh, they got a new slight form factor. The um, just the same great product that they just hone the design of the actual uh, bite valve itself is very interesting. Um, and I hope to tell you more about that kind of product, but that just gives you some insight as to what's all going on. It was a huge, huge uh, week in total from the bike industry. And I hope uh, that you stay tuned. Go for a ride on your bike in the meantime. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like me to touch upon, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know in the comments below or leave a message via Anchor. Uh, that's how this podcast gets made. I can't thank them enough. They do great work. They recently got uh, acquired by Spotify. So hello to all the Spotify listeners. Hopefully uh, the synergy and use uh, Anchor now being owned by Spotify. Hopefully that's going to open up a whole new avenue of listening opportunities, podcasting opportunities uh, for the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast. In any respect, I really hope that this starts a conversation between yourself and me. Love to hear from you. Until the next episode, riders, we'll hear from you soon. I love you. And yeah, enjoy your day. Cheers. Cheers.